Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solitudes Podcast, the home of the Ottawa Fury. Well, not really the home, but uh, Ottawa Fury are the last standing team in Canada now after Kevin, the impact fell. And And Vancouver, too. Yeah, but the Fury, Fury had a great game on Sunday, and we're going to talk about that in our Canadian review. We're going to also obviously break down the two MLS losses for the Canadian sides, as well as the rest of the MLS playoffs. We have Rudy Schuler from Goal on to do that for us, to help us do that, as well as Kevin and I will do it ourselves, too, after Rudy's on there. But Rudy uh, joined us a little while ago for about a 40-minute conversation, lots of great content. And yeah, we're going to talk with the Canadian national team, too. We're going to have a special show this week, which only talks about Canadian national team, because it is a big week for the national program, but it was also a big week for MLS and NASL playoff action so today we're going to focus more on that with a little bit of national team touch in um but uh kevin before we do any of that are you still going to new york no i'm not going to new york i guess my plans of making it a road trip a off the woodworks and sports podcast network on the road as well as figured out with the impact last night but you know what if the red bulls make it december 6th to the mls cup final and they host it it's close enough that maybe we can rethink that situation. Yeah, I, I've been um, sort of looking at some mega buses and looking at things like that to try and do that. It, it, I think it'd be funny if Dallas were to make the MLS Cup final and I traveled uh, down to watch it. That uh, that would mean that I only go to MLS Cup finals when Dallas are involved. You're a Dallas hipster. Yeah, I'm a Dallas hipster. Uh, for those that don't get that reference, I was at the 2010 MLS Cup Final, which was here in Toronto, which involved Dallas and Colorado in the oddest matchup in MLS Cup history. And it was a terrible game, too, but alas. It was cold, too. Oh, well, it wasn't that bad, you know. Actually, people kind of remember it as being cold because I think they're assuming a little bit. It was certainly for a team from Dallas, probably very cold. But uh, for, for us, it was like, eh, whatever. It was a mild night. I think it was about plus five. Uh, and right, late November at BMO is always fun. Um Kevin, let's bring Rudy on the line now. As I said, it's a fairly long interview, but it's a very substantive interview, so I do hope you enjoy it all. And after he's done, we'll come back and we'll break down the games a little bit more ourselves. And welcome back to the Two Salt Seats Podcast. Joining us today to uh, review the playoff action in Major League Soccer this weekend and a little NASL as well is Rudy Schuler from Goal. Thanks, Rudy, for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start with the NASL and uh, the Fury game. And we understand, Rudy, you were working a little bit on the MLS side of things during this, but you were trying to keep an eye on the Fury game in the NASL semifinals. Uh, what was your overall impression of, of what happened in Ottawa this year and uh, how important is it for, for that market to so quickly get to a championship game? Oh, that's great. I mean, it, it really is something to build on. And I, I really hope that the uh, the Fury front office and, and, and everyone behind that team there can, can kind of take that take that and kind of build it onto something else. I mean, obviously there's still another game to go, so maybe that'll even help a little bit more. Uh, but they got to make the next uh, 
this off season coming up, they gotta they gotta keep building on that. They gotta keep uh, basically make decisions that aren't stupid, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and that I mean the first thing obviously is getting a head coach that can uh, continue what uh, Mark Dos Santos has built there because you know he he's been a real revelation uh, for that team and uh, he's put together a great squad for not a lot of money and just see just seeing eight thousand plus fans in the cold at that stadium you know getting to see an exciting game that went uh, that went uh, the distance that's awesome and uh, you know that's how you that's how you build a fan base and. I think that if that can continue, then we'll have another strong Canadian team. And, um, you know, I've been harping on it forever is we, we always need more of those. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very important and very exciting for the city of Ottawa. All right, well, one, one more quick one on the Fury sort of uh, before we move on to the MLS side. And that, that relates to DeSantos and him moving to Kansas City. Um, I think he might be the best young Canadian manager. And I know Kevin might argue with me for another one there. But uh, how excited are you about DeSantos getting an opportunity to get his foot in door at Major League Soccer? And how high do you think his ceiling is as a coach? I think his ceiling is, is as high as it can get in Canada. And, that, and that's a uh, national team coach someday. Um, of course, you know, there's, there's a lot of work for him to do between now and then. And, you know, things might go south sometimes, you know, sometimes some coaches get stale or they get stuck in their ways or whatever. But uh, he hasn't seemed to be a coach like that. Of course, it's very early in his career. Um, he's only coached a couple of teams and he's still very young, as you mentioned. Um, but what he's got to make sure that he's doing is he's continually learning. He's continually being open to new ideas and, 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 and criticisms as well and taking those and building himself into a better coach. And he seems to be the kind of guy that does that. So um, he's getting his foot in the door at Sporting Kansas City. I can see him within five years maybe taking over a team, uh, you know, a la Mauro Biello on an interim basis and maybe turning that into a into a, a permanent job because uh, I still don't think that uh, there's too many MLS teams out there that are really eager to hire a Canadian flat-out permanent. They, they, they kind of have to prove themselves a little bit more. It's, it's almost the same as on the playing side, really. They kind of have to prove themselves a little bit more than Americans do, which is unfortunate, but it's the environment we live in. Uh, and after that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for him. I really do think that he could be a future national team coach someday. One of the teams that Mark Dos Santos did coach earlier in his career, it's the Montreal Impact, who last <laughs> night played against Columbus in the second leg of the Eastern Conference semifinals. And they lost 3-1 in extra time. Drama in Columbus. First of all, Rudy, what is the one thing you take out of this game? Is it the, the play, how Columbus is good? Or maybe how Sorrow should have been sent off or offsides? Or what was your, your overall uh, your overall take of this game? Well, MLS playoff games are not boring, are they? Um, <laughs> no, one thing you thought, they're not boring. <laughs> exactly. And we saw, you know, across the spectrum, just a, a number of, well, I guess the, the New York DC game was kind of a snoozer. But uh, once that was done, every, all the other games were great. Um what I do think is that I do actually agree that Sorrow was really walking that line, and I think another referee might have uh, sent him off. Um, I would have personally sent him off, but I don't think that he was what... walking that line in Montreal, Rudy. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. He was walking the line both legs. Uh, that, I think that's just the kind of player he is. But um, I don't think that's what uh, that's what did Montreal in 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 in, in the, the greater scheme of things, uh, because I do think that uh, that uh, sorry, the Vancouver that uh, Columbus played a. And exceptionally well, they, they kind of executed their game plan really well. They finally got Kai Kamara into the game. Um, and what they did really well is they got Didier Drogba out of the game. Uh, and that includes even the first leg a little bit too, but especially the second leg. He wasn't really an influence. And of course, what we've seen over the past three months is that as he goes, the impact goes. Now, of course, that's, you know, that's not giving enough credit to the impact. I think that they've 
They've done well defensively since Bielo's taken over, and they've really looked a different team, especially uh, getting a healthy Piatti as well has really helped them. But Didier Drogba is the heart of that team, as anybody can see. Um, and, and, of course, the most dangerous attacker. And you take him out of the equation, and it looked like Montreal had no ideas to try to, try to, uh, to, try to you know, do something else to, to, to get that game going. So I, I do have to give credit to Columbus and Greg Berhalter for coming up with a game plan to, uh, to kind of starve Didier Drogba of service and try to put the onus on other guys like Piatti and, and, and Duca and those kind of guys to, to get something going. And, and they did, but they didn't do enough. So, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I know a lot of fans are really pissed off about, uh, about Sorrow and the way he played. I, I fully agree with it. You know, I, I don't think he should have been playing. But honestly, I don't think that was uh, the difference maker in, in that game. I do think that uh, Columbus just played, had a better game plan and they, they managed to execute it. Who knew that you would congest the midfield and then Didi Drogba without service would just go deeper like he did in the first leg, but in the worst timing. And is is that the reason? Is it because he wanted to do too much and felt like he was almost left alone on the pitch in both legs, basically, because Drogba was a non-factor in both games and actually caused the, the goal in Montreal that, if you look yep. at the final score of the aggregate, it's the goal that actually put Columbus through. Uh Is it still a successful season for Montreal, Rudy? I know it's it's a big question when you had the CCL final and the Canadian Championship finals, semifinals of the Eastern Conference. Is it still a success for Montreal? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all those things you listed, you know, that was all in the same season. So uh, a team can have all those finals. Um, they didn't, you know, obviously they didn't win any of them. But hey, you know, they got there and and, and, and I think they... They kind of tasted that, and I think next year they can build on that. Of course, you know, again, as I was saying with the Fury, I think the impact is the same thing. They got to be smart in their decisions and 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 try to take advantage of the momentum they have because they do have a lot of momentum. And and of course, you see in the city of Montreal, you know, that they, uh, the whole city was kind of enthralled by uh, by Drogba mania, which turned into impact mania. You know, which is uh, just great for the sport out there. So um, I do consider it a, a successful season because if you look at the previous season. Um, How can it not? How can it not? You know, it, it, there was there was improvement across the board, and even even improvement from the the middle of the season because you know uh, there was a really roller coaster ride going on here from the you know the, the CCL and the, the the final there and and the heartbreak, and then you know they started the MLS season and just kind of looked like crap for a while and you know just uh, kind of you know treaded water and didn't look like they were going to do much, and then you know uh, Drogba and Biello, the two uh, catalysts, came along and 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 set that season on fire again. So. Um, Absolutely, I consider this a successful season for Montreal because, uh, as I said, if you just compare it to 2014, there's no comparison whatsoever. Rudy, is Biello back? Yes, I, if if I was in charge, yes, he's back. Okay. And uh, one other thing, Rudy, Biello is going to be back. Like he's saying, will we see Drogba and Piatti and maybe another DP back? Do you see any big roster change for Montreal? Um, yeah, I do think that they need to uh, look at the central midfield because. Uh, They leaned a lot on Patrice Bernier in the, the in the run in uh, the playoffs and, and in the playoffs as well. And, you know, he's not getting any younger. Um, and, of course, Drogba's not getting any younger either. So they're going to have to look at some, uh, you know, some areas of the pitch that uh, that need to be taken care of. I, I do think that uh, maybe another wide player, because I don't know if, if Justin Mapp is going to be uh, is going to be at full uh, at full capacity next year. So, I mean, there are a, a little bit of improvements here and there that can be needed, maybe over, overall depth as well. Uh, but for me, I'd start in that central midfield spot, try to find a, a replacement for Patrice Bernier. Um, not to say that he'll be replaced right away, but someone who can push him and someone who can who can do his job 
because uh, I just don't think he's going to be able to give it a full season. I mean, he needed he needed that little break to come back uh, highly motivated and whatnot. So uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that again next year, right? So if I were if I were the the impact uh, honchos, that's where I'd be looking. I'd be looking to shore up that center midfield spot, um, and maybe even somewhere along the back line as well. Because I I'm not cons- I'm not uh, too sold on uh, on some of the 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 backups there like Hassoun Kamara uh, to me just looked awful um, and a couple others. I mean, and, and maybe another center back because the Laurent Simon loves to seem to love to get himself sent off, you know, uh, yeah. every, every three or four games. So you need another, another guy who could step in. I mean, Vontaine Lefebvre did a, a great job as well, but uh, for me, more competition is great. So I think they, they can look at kind of shoring up all those little positions there and they'll be able to have a nice uh, season again next year. Uh, Rudy, earlier on in this conversation, you said that one thing Major League Soccer playoff games weren't as boring. I'm going to make a one quarter percent argument on that. (laughs) That would be the first one of the day. Uh, D.C. United, uh, New York, that entire tie was a little dire. I don't know whether that I I think it was the D.C. just didn't have enough pushback against New York. Are we underestimating the Red Bulls, though? Uh, We might be. Uh, The Red Bulls are a complete team, top to bottom. Um, you know, they obviously they wanted supporter shield for a reason. Yes, they were in the East, but uh, you know you have to win the you have to win the games and you have to beat the teams that are in front of you. So uh, they are a, a solid team from front to back. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty against DC, but I, I actually blame that more on DC than New York. I think New York knew they didn't have to really push the game, so they just let DC kind of uh, dictate what kind of game it was going to be. And we all knew that DC United was going to make that game ugly because that's the style they play. Uh, with the players they have, they just don't have the 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 flair and the talent to make it a, a, a pretty game. They always kind of grind things out. You know, of course, uh, Montreal Impact fans will 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 remember when uh, DC won with one shot and gave up 25 shots. It looked like it was going to be one of those performances too. It very very closely was that as well. I think they only had a handful of shots and 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 uh, the Red Bulls had quite a bit, but it was uh, nil nil for quite 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 long stretches. So um, they seem to be very. One of the most, uh, you know, frustrating teams to watch, and I do think that they're going to have to be uh, overhauled in the in the off season because they're just getting they're just getting older. But as for the New York Red Bulls, I do think that they are a little bit underestimated because they don't get a lot of respect because they're in the East, um, and because the East has been seen as such a walkover, which I don't fully agree with, but uh, I get where people are are coming from on that. Um, that being said, uh, they're probably going to win MLS Cup because they're probably going to host it. So uh, I do think a lot of people are underestimating them. I, I just don't see another team being able to beat them over two legs, uh, maybe an MLS Cup. But again, they're probably going to host it if they make it. Oh, well, they will host it if they make it. So if they make it that, that far, I don't think they're going to lose at home. So uh, I don't see them losing in the, in the, in the conference final either. So, um, yeah, uh, I think the Red Bulls are finally going to lift that cup after, you know, well, how many years has it been in the league now? 20-something? So, yeah. Uh, to me, they are very, very much flying under the radar, but the favorites at the exact same time. It's very, very weird. It's like that new blueprint, Rudy. We have only one DP left that's paid over a million dollar, and that's Liam Ridgewell with Portland. It seems all the teams now have spread that money across the pitch and not just on a certain position, not spending a whole lot on one player. Is it the new blueprint that we're seeing with the New Yorks of this world? Uh, it's, I, I think it's a little too early to call it a new blueprint because uh, we saw the old bl- blueprint work so much over the past uh, five, six years uh, with the LA Galaxy just dominating everyone by outspending everyone and, and, and getting the, the players in the right positions. Uh, I do think that there's a lot of imbalance going on with the big spending DP uh, teams 
teams such as Toronto and Seattle and 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 those and, and of course LA um, spending maybe in in wrong positions or overspending in in one position and not shoring up others or you know just just getting flat out wrong. Um, I do think that in the end uh, the more money will win. That's just the way you know sports are. It's just the way it is in life, really. Um, and I do think that MLS will continue to try to tweak it so that those big money teams, which generally end up being the bigger market teams, uh, will be able to uh, overcome, I guess, this new uh, this newish kind of blueprint that we've, we're seeing this year. I do think the sample size is a little too small to be to be calling it anything uh, but an anomaly yet. But uh, you know, if it, if it uh, continues into next year, then I'll be I'll happily change my tune. But right now, I still do think that uh, teams with most money will have the best chances of winning. Um, but they have to be smart about it. I mean, that's the theme I've been talking about this whole show. They have to be smart about it. And I don't think that the bigger spending teams have been very smart about it. So that's why we're seeing teams that are smarter and getting the best out of the, the, their full roster are making these runs. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I still do think that the, the, bigger, the bigger money will eventually be the bigger success. Let's move on to what I think was the best game of the weekend, and I'm not just restricting that to Major League Soccer. It was maybe the best game of the weekend, and that is Dallas-Seattle. Oh, yeah. It was wild back and forth. That finish was crazy. Great Canadian performance as well by the international there of Teshu. Um, yeah, this start there. How good was that game, Rudy? Well, it was incredible. I mean, it was really incredible. And it was weird because it kind of started off – I wouldn't say it started off as a lull because it was quite a wide open, but nothing was really happening. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> everything just happened. There was goal after goal. Dallas took the aggregate lead, and then Seattle took it, and then Dallas took it back, and then you know, then then they had to go to over, extra time, and it's just it was crazy. But yeah, uh, you mentioned Tesho Akindeli there, uh, who hasn't been getting a lot of starts with Dallas, even though he's the the the, the reigning rookie of the year. Although I believe tomorrow we'll have a new one uh, from Canada. Uh, but yeah, he. He comes on and he's he's in a super sub role these days with Dallas and uh, he really lived up to that title yesterday. Uh, to be fair, he was matched up against a, a left uh, back that doesn't play left back in Christian Roldan, uh, a rookie who's uh, more of an attacking midfielder. But uh, the Sounders and Siggy Schmidt had to go with him due to injuries and, and lack of availability of players. Um, that being said, I, 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 I harp on this all the time, is you can only play what's in front of you. And uh, Tesho did a great job of using his skill, his size and his strength to, to bully his way into the box. And, he, you know, he, he immediately got a goal, and he almost got another one and another one after that. And he, he just looked like a, a breath of fresh air for a Dallas team uh, that was just kind of playing at, at full throttle for the entire 120 minutes. So, uh, yeah, it was it, it was such great drama to watch. And, and uh, I really hope that Tesho, because I, I think he's going to play the same role with Canada uh, on the weekend. So I, I, I hope that he can bring some of that energy off the bench uh, against an opponent that Canada really, really needs to beat. Yeah, we're going to end with some Canadian national team <laughs> questions. I don't know if I'm quite emotionally ready to go into this one yet, but we'll, we'll <laughs> hold that off for a bit. Um, most of the, It's probably unfortunate for Dallas, who have been sort of under the radar all year, but a lot of the talk today is going to be about the losers, uh, about Seattle. Seattle, once again, not able to do it in the playoffs. It was probably the weakest year overall for the Sounders, I think. They never really looked like a contender to me anyway. Uh, is this the end of the Siggy Schmidt era up there? Do they need to retool that? And Maybe that starts with a manager change. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I wouldn't say they need to retool that, but I, I, I would leaning heavily towards that they're going to do it, and it probably will end up being a good move for them if they do. And, of course, they get the right guy to uh, to replace him. Um, because uh, when I speak about the, the lack of balance, I mean, they were really, really, uh, they were really just um, really leaning on 
on Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey to kind of take them wherever they could go. Uh, last year, it worked out great. The two of them were just gangbusters. This year, there was injuries and and so on and so forth. And Obafemi Martins, I, I wasn't even sure he was playing last night, to be quite honest, other than when he uh, yeah. he, he hit a hard foul. I can't remember on who it was. Uh, it was like that was in the late in the second half. Like, oh, yeah, Oba's still playing in this game. My God. Uh, at least Clint Dempsey looked a little bit alive, but even he hasn't looked up to his own standards. Now, again, both of them have been injured uh, over the, the course of the year. Uh, Dempsey, uh, I don't know what's going on with him because he's had some uh, some you know mental lapses in, in, in judgment and, 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 and temperament as well. So, um, yeah, they're going to have to find a little bit of balance in that team, and I don't know if Siggy Schmidt is the guy to do it because you know every year that they have the big budget and they do really well in the in the in the regular season, but then they just fail when it comes to the playoffs. And I, I think for the the league's uh, largest fan base, the most enthusiastic fan base, and of course the best that they'll tell you, uh, they really do deserve a winner because they they've stood by that team and 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 made it what it is and given them the the, the resources to go out and get those kinds of players. Now it's time to reward them back because uh, yeah, I mean you can't just rely on on selling out all the time and 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 doing okay in the playoffs. And not that I'm saying that Seattle does that that they that they're okay with just being what they are, but at some point they've got to take a risk and and uh, and maybe reap the rewards from that risk. And I think that does start with the manager because, you know, he's had six years, seven years. What is it now? I don't even know. Six or seven years now to uh, to make his mark on, his, on the team. And to his credit, you know, it's the best expansion team of all time, uh, which is a great legacy to leave behind. But now they probably do need someone to uh, push them over the edge a little bit. And I do think they just need a, a, a few more ideas. And maybe that frees up Siggy Schmidt to find a, another job in his, in his uh, hometown. The last Canadian team who was playing in the playoff last night got eliminated as well. The Vancouver Whitecaps lost 2 nothing at home against Portland. Rudy, what's with Canadian team and first year in the playoffs and no goals? Yeah, who knows, right? I mean, well, that is Canadian soccer, isn't it? <laughs> and it's funny these teams aren't even that Canadian heavy. I mean, uh, Especially Vancouver. Not a single Canadian player. Uh, and, of course, we saw Tesha Wakandelli score a beautiful goal last night. But if he was playing for a Canadian team, he probably wouldn't have. Right? <laughs> he probably would not have played. <laughs> no. Well, no, I'm saying he, even if he played, he probably wouldn't even have scored. Uh, no, no. But uh, in all seriousness, yeah, it, it's, it's really weird. Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if our teams are snake bitten or what it is. or like, yeah, it, It's just odd because uh, all three teams have looked like they can, they can really run and gun this year. I know Vancouver has had some – excuse me, Vancouver's had some goal-scoring problems in the second half of the season. But in the first half of the season – they were just, you know, piling it on. And of course, we we saw uh, Montreal score just a, a a bucket load of goals when Drogba showed up. And of course, we've seen what TFC's done. Uh, they scored the, the second highest most goals in the league. But uh, you know, you hit the playoffs, and unless they're playing each other, they can't score goals, uh, or at least one of them can't score goals in, in uh, one case. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's really odd, and I don't think it's going to be anything of a long-term trend, but it, it just, it's really frustrating as, as fans of the game in Canada to see our teams uh, struggle so much to do what they do so easily in the regular season. Uh, but, I mean, that's the North American sporting scene. is, is It takes a different mentality to, to kind of ramp things up in the playoffs. I know it's a cliche, but it, it, it really does hold true that it, it, it's uh, usually the, stronger, the, the mentally stronger teams are the ones that can kind of be more consistent uh, throughout the entire season, including the postseason. So I do think that all three teams, uh, which have three young coaches, were kind of a reflection of that. Um, maybe. You know what I mean? Uh, because 
those guys don't know how to win in the playoffs yet uh, as coaches. Maybe they do as players uh, in their various playing careers, but as coaches, it's a lot different to get that out of your players. So maybe it's just a learning experience for all three uh, all three teams that uh, maybe they can hopefully take uh, forward and and next year maybe we'll see some goals and maybe someone will win a, a playoff series for once. Uh, I asked you the question earlier if for Montreal it was still a success. Is it still a success for Vancouver? They're in the CCL again next year. They won the Edwin Canadian Championship for the first time in their history this year, the Voyagers Cup. And they're heading to CCL again, but they had a great season, finished uh, second in the West, but lost in their first playoff series. Yeah. Is, is it still a success for Vancouver? Well, it's weird because uh, as much as I was, as quick as I was to uh, to say that it was a success for the Impact, because I really do think it was, uh, I'm not so quick to, to, to say that the same thing for Vancouver because this is exactly where I predicted them to be. Maybe not so much the, the postseason, uh, the way the postseason ended, but in the in the in the regular season, I, I actually went on record and I said they're going to come second in the West, and they they barely pulled it off, but they pulled it off. Um, but they didn't really look good in the in the second half of the season, to be quite honest. And I do think that will put a lot of damper on what was a very good first part of the season. Um, they were exactly where a lot of people expected them to be. And I think that's a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, I do think that becoming second in, in, in the West and, you know, winning the Voyager's Cup for the first time ever, those are, those are check marks that need, to be, uh, that need to be held up and say, hey, th these are successes. But I do think overall, uh, overall I'm going to say it's a neutral season because I, I, this is exactly where I expect them to be. Maybe, maybe getting to the next round was uh, a little too hopeful, but uh, I thought it was possible. But uh, I, I, this is exactly where I expect them to be. So I, I don't think it's either a success or a failure. I, th I think it's just exactly what we expected out of them. Yeah, R Rudy, uh, we all know my philosophical differences with the Caps roster yeah. composition. We're <laughs> not going to go down that road today, but I do question whether the type of player they have in there is the right type of player to ultimately go on a long MLS Cup run. And what I mean, do, do they need like a Connor Casey in his prime? Do they need some more toughness grit whatever you want to call it up front to maybe take that next step it's a very interesting question because i was thinking that uh when i was watching it last night too it was uh you know the team looked very soft and i don't know if that was fatigue or or just mentally they were done or whatever it was but whatever it was they they looked soft and they've looked that way for the past three months really uh, you know you know a gamer here to here aside they really haven't looked like a team that was going to make a serious run or put it, put a real scare into anybody. You know, uh, I thought that of the impact. I thought they looked like the, the team that was going to put a scare into a lot of teams and they did, but uh, you know, Columbus did a good job of, of counteracting that. But uh, I don't think uh, Vancouver was really frightening uh, the Timbers or whoever else possibly could have played them. Uh, they just looked like another team that had a good first half of the season and, and, and kind of faded out. Those types of teams ultimately don't win. As we've seen so many years, uh, you know, just with so many years of, of sample sizes within uh, MLS, um, and yeah, I do think that maybe they they need um, someone who understands the North American season a little bit more because you know it's great that you have all these foreign players that are from you know South America and they play with flair, um, you know, they, they they put on a show, but the second half of the season they really didn't do that because they didn't score that many goals. They were like solidly middle of the pack in goals. Uh, so even then, they didn't really play with the, with the type of style and, 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 and ultimately finishing that Carl Robinson would have wanted. So maybe it is uh, time to get a little bit of steel in the middle. You know, uh, Even a guy, like, uh, a guy like Osvaldo Alonso in Seattle, that's the kind of guy who would kind of, you know, if, if not 
take his own teammates by the scruff of the neck. He 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 kicked the you know the living you know what of the other team to to kind of lift his own teammates up. Uh, I don't see that in Vancouver. I, we we see a little bit with Matias Laba, but I think he's he's uh, a lot more reserved in that role. Uh, we need someone who could take that kind of game by the scruff of the neck and dirty it up a little bit. And I just don't think they have those players. Um, I don't know if there's enough match winners in that team either. Because uh, is there enough experience at winning? It's great to have a, a young team that you can build around and have, you know, we can point to all the success and, and say that, look, we can have the same core for the next five, six years and we'll still be doing well. But um, at some point, they need to learn to win because uh, they're learning to lose at, at, the, at the most important times. And, and that's a hard thing to shake as well. So I, I do think that they needed a few more leaders in that locker room. Uh, Robert Earnshaw is a good guy to, to, to kind of point to because he came in, you know, he obviously didn't have the legs to play a lot of minutes, but when he did come in, he influenced the match every single time I've, uh, I've watched, well, not every single time, but most, most games I've watched this year, he's influenced the match either directly or indirectly uh, just by making himself a nuisance up there and, and, and leading by example. He's not, a, he's not a big talker in the locker room. Of course, uh, we had a lot of experience with him here at, uh, here at Toronto, but uh, he's a guy who will kind of rally uh, around his playing style and, and kind of show his teammates what is needed. I think they need a little bit more of that. And I know that Carl Robinson has contacts to kind of bring that over, whether it's within MLS or in Europe. And I do think that's what they need to look at in the offseason is, is get a little bit more steel and get uh, those uh, cliched locker room guys that can kind of lift everyone up because I do think that's lacking uh, in the Whitecaps locker room. Fair enough. I think we should take a moment to, to, to reflect on the winners of that tie as well, the Portland Timbers who have yeah. had a very interesting season in the sense that they kind of looked down and out for a long time, but now here they are back to their uh, second conference final in uh, three years. Um, do you think the Timbers are for real? Do they have a chance to, to take home, take home the championship? Yeah, I think they're, they're for real, but I don't think they're going to be Dallas. Uh, I think Dallas is just too strong for them. Um, what a great, what a, just a well-built team Dallas is. Uh, you know, they're exciting. They got one of the most exciting players in the league in Fabian Castillo. Moro Diaz is just an unbelievable player, um, and they've got the, they've got the supporting cast. You know, Blas Perez, that guy is Concacaf to a T, and he will do whatever it takes to win games. Again, that's another guy they could have got at uh, at you know in Vancouver, and he's a Latin American guy too. He's a guy who will who will clutch and grab and, and dive and do all those things that uh, other other teams hate, but your team loves when they're when they're on your team. Uh, he's a kind of a leader that will do that. Uh, of course, we mentioned Teshuak and Delhi. All the home runs players they've got. It's such a well-constructed team, and they're, you know, they're riding at a high now. And I just don't see Portland beating them over two legs. I do think that uh, it'll be a tough leg in Portland, but uh, you know, in Dallas, I, I don't see it happening. But uh, I do think that the Portland Timbers have to consider this uh, this a next step under Caleb Porter because I do think they 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 look like they were regressing for a little bit. And uh, full credit to Caleb Porter and his staff. They got. They got these performances out of them and out of his team in the in the in the the later parts of the season when, you know, everything's on the line, and uh, this is the kind of momentum you want going into the next season. Of course, you know, I, I'm kind of talking about them like they've already lost. Of course, they can win. They can win. I just don't think they will. But uh, I do think they should be happy with getting to the stage because, three four months ago, it didn't even look like they were going to make the playoffs. Maybe not even that long ago. Maybe three four weeks ago, it didn't even look like they were going to make the playoffs. And now here they are. You know, 180 minutes from MLS Cup. So. Anything can happen, of course, as the cliche goes. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that they are a real, real threat to, for MLS Cup. But I think that F FC Dallas is a bigger threat, and uh, both teams should really be pr proud of the success they've had. 
sort of tying into the Vancouver conversation, I think what's really interesting about the the Timbers is, of course, Porter tried to bring that Akron sort of offensive yep. flare ball over, and he adjusted his tactics when it was clear after a couple seasons that maybe that wasn't going to quite work and, and played more of an MLS style, which isn't always um, what fans want, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, pragmatically, it, it might have been what was needed at that particular time because ultimately what fans want, Rudy, is to win. So the, here we are. All right, speaking of teams that don't win much uh, and what I don't want to talk about but have to is uh, what's going to happen this coming Friday in uh, in Vancouver as well. Um, sh- should I be terrified? Uh, is this just going to end in more tears or am I just being um, a voyager right now? Are you talking about the actual game or the overall play, uh, the overall World Cup run? We're talking about, yeah, I, I guess the overall run is ultimately where I'm going here. But I think that if I happen to think that if they lose this game in Vancouver, that the overall run might be over too. So there you yeah, go. I don't think they're going to lose this game in Vancouver. Um, Honduras isn't what Honduras was three years ago in that game that shall not be mentioned. Um, they're in a bit of a disarray. They're you know they're still very talented, but they're missing. They're going to be missing two of their best players in Andy Nahar and Roger Espinosa. You know, Roger Espinosa gives that midfield steal that we, t- we just talked about over the last couple of uh, segments there. And uh, Andy Nahar is their best attacker. Uh, and a, a bunch of their older guys have retired. The Carlos Costleys, the uh, Carlos Pavone, those guys have all retired. Those are the guys who were the, the mm. Canada killers over the past few uh, cycles. Um, they're all gone. Now, that's not to say that they're not talented and they're not a huge threat to Canada, because of course they are, because of course they're Honduras and Canada's Canada. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there's a pecking order and whatnot. But... I just don't see any reason why Canada should be scared of this team uh, playing at home in front of what's going to probably be a very big crowd in uh, in BC Place there. Uh, you know, a very unsatiated crowd that hasn't seen Canada in 10 years. You know, So they're going to be enthusiastic. Hopefully they will have gotten over their Whitecaps hangover by then but uh, and, and be able to switch over to red. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the crowd is going to be really into it. And I think a lot of these newer players that haven't really experienced the Honduras game are going to be into it as well. Because what's Honduras to Kyle Laren, to Junior Hoylet, to Tesho mm-hmm. Akindeli, you know, to, to these guys that weren't around four years ago, or three years ago, I should say. Um, they don't care. Of course, they, they, they probably watched the match. They probably hurt just like the rest of us did. They probably, uh, you know, they, but they went on with their day. It, it's, not, it's not something they actually experienced. These are guys that are used to playing, you know, in, in, in different experiences and, and, and having more success than maybe some of their older teammates do. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to expect to just go out and roll over for, for Honduras, especially at home. We'll see how it is in the, in the, in the, the return leg in Honduras later on uh, in the cycle. But uh, I don't think there's any reason to think they're going to lose. Because uh, even, even, even in the last cycle at BMO, it, you know, they were, they were a goalpost away from winning against Honduras. And then, of course, that other game happened. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, of course, we all have collective PTSD when it comes to Canada. And uh, especially against Honduras. So let's talk to Daniel Squizano about that. But uh, yeah, I, I really think that this new breed, if they can gel together quickly enough, because you are bringing in the junior Hoylets, uh, Lucas Cavallini's, those guys that, oh, I guess Lucas Cavallini was in that game, but they haven't been around the program uh, under Benito for very long, other than a, you know, a week uh, last month. But uh, these are guys that have to gel with the, the stalwarts like Atiba Hutchinson and, and, and so on and so forth. If they can do that over this, the course of this week, uh, and if they can establish themselves at this uh, as a bit of a home field advantage, because we don't know what VC Pace is going to be like, because they've never played there under the, under these conditions. Um, if they can do all that stuff, then I do think that they can get a win. I don't think they're going to blow anybody out, 
but I do think they can they can get a win for sure in this in this scenario. Um, if not, well, I guess we'll all just go back to crying in our beer. <laughs> if I'm throwing a party and I'm inviting yeah. two persons, let's say one called <laughs> Benito Floro and one called Jonathan Rosario, is there a chance <laughs> that they can make up and get Jonathan Rosario back with the national team? <laughs> it depends on what kind of party it is. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe a FIFA party. So everybody can just play a little a FIFA, FIFA 16 uh, and FIFA. have, you know, a, have uh, a beer and just maybe make up. <laughs> well, I think a FIFA party. I think a Sorio would just, uh, you know, dominate being 23 years old. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, think, I, don't, I think Benito Flores has ever played a game of FIFA in his life. <laughs> but no, I know what you're saying. Um, I don't think there's any bad blood between them. I just don't think Benito Floro rates him that highly. Uh, highly enough to bring him in the 23. Highly enough to display some of the guys that uh, he's got that he counts on over the, over the you know last two years that he's brought in game in game out. I just don't think he thinks that Osorio will bring something or enough to to get rid of one of the other guys he's bringing, especially in the system that he has determined is the best for Canada. You know, Osorio doesn't defend that well compared to some of the other midfielders in in the program. He's not that fast. He's not that athletic. So it's it's really weird because you know you think a Spanish coach would kind of appreciate the skills and the the rare skill set that Osorio has within the Canadian player pool because this is a guy to me is the best passer of the ball in the final third in the entire Canadian program like in the entire pool. Uh, you can talk about Atiba Hutchinson. I think he's the best overall passer of the ball. And of course, he's the best overall player. But I think when you when you need that cutting ball to to get in behind a defense or or split a, you know split a pair of defenders or or just sending a guy on, the, on a ridiculous kind of angle, that's Jonathan Osorio. I don't think anybody else can do that in the, in the Canadian program. Uh, and another guy, and, and another thing is he can hold on to possession better than you know pretty much everyone except for maybe Atiba and maybe uh, Russell Tybert as well. I think those are the top three guys in, in keeping possession, at least in the midfielders. So it, it really is puzzling to me why he's not in this 23, because if you look at some of the guys that are brought in, and no disrespect to Keon's Froze, who I think is... Uh, going to be a great prospect for Canada. He's a great prospect right now, but he's going to be a great player for Canada down the line. He's got a lot of great attributes, um, and we've seen in, in spurts uh, with, with the Whitecaps. I just don't think he's ready yet for that jump up. Of course, we know why he was brought in, because he was uh, cynically. It's it's a marketing exercise. you got to bring as many Whitecaps as you can to kind of market that game. I don't think he's going to see the pitch at all. But um, to me, if he was really bringing if Benito Flora was really bringing his best 23, Keon's Froze isn't there. Jonathan Osorio is, and they're actually got a, a similar skill set. Just that Oso is farther along in his in his in his development, and he's an international caliber player for Canada right now, whereas a guy like Keon's Froze is not. So, um, and again, I'm not harping on Keon's Froze. If anyone's listening and, and is you know connected to him or whatever, I do think he's going to be an excellent player for Canada someday. I just don't think he's there yet. Whereas you know th this is World Cup qualifying, you got to focus on the now, not the future, and not some other cynical things that. Uh, perhaps influence that decision but uh getting back to my original point i don't think there's any bad blood there because i don't think asorio is not a disrespectful guy maybe he had a little bit of a you know a pout when he came out of the gold cup or uh, but that's what a competitor does if i was a coach i'd want a guy to be pissed off when he gets pulled out of a game uh that's you know hotly contested because that means he cares that means he wants to be out there uh if he just came out with no uh with no reaction whatsoever then maybe that would be a reason to cut him but uh, i you know, Benito Flores has been around the block. The guy's coached everywhere from the highest to the lowest levels. He's seen angry players. He's dealt with all these, you know, 
you know, great players that have bad attitudes, bad players that have great attitudes. He's seen every everything along the spectrum. So I don't think there's any bad blood. And from what people have told me with, from from the inside, there isn't bad blood there. It's just more that he doesn't think that Osorio brings what is needed to this 23. And I think that's absolute BS. But uh, that's just my opinion. Fair enough. That, let's end it with a, a little bit of a different question. Um, Patrice Bernier may have played his last game. Uh, we haven't heard that for sure. Uh, I think yep. it might be a good place for him to step out. Mm-hmm. Just reflect a little bit on Bernier's overall career and, uh, you know, have we sort of underappreciated him a little bit here in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he came up uh, in the generation where he was overshadowed by, you know, Dero, uh, De Guzman, those types of players that made, that, you know, made a, made a of course, uh, you know, a little bit of a better club career for themselves within North America, at least, though, on Dero's case, uh, because I, I do think that Bernie has had a great club career. The guy's played in Germany, Denmark, of course, in MLS. Uh, he's had a great career here as, as an elder statesman. So, yeah, uh, I do think he was underappreciated. And, and I think that's I think he's OK with that because he's not the kind of guy that uh, wants to hog the spotlight. He's not the kind of guy that wants to, you know, kind of take all the attention he's the guy that wants to go out and put a put in a performance and 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 leave it all on the field if, if i can use that cliche there uh he's the leader by example uh, and i think he, he 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 likes the role of just not being the star of the team you know and, and i actually think that uh there's no coincidence that uh he played some of his best soccer of his career at least as an impact player uh when didier drogba showed up because now there's a, a clear and definite star on that team drogba so Bernier can just kind of fly under the radar and 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 and, and be the guy he 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 needs to be to, for for the team to to succeed, you know. Because before he was the he was kind of the, the the hometown ambassador for for the impact, you know, being a Montreal boy and all that. Um, he kind of drew a lot of the, the 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 media attention because he was that because he was the the best hometown player on the impact. So he he just kind of ended up being, uh, you know, the taken in the spotlight by by default. So. You know, Drogba comes along and, and, and takes all that spotlight away, which Drogba's fine with doing. And here we are. Bar- Bernier plays some of the best soccer we've seen him play. And, uh, you know, we see, we've seen it in other places too. You know, he played some very good games for Canada alongside the D-Rose and de Guzmans who, uh, who, who would uh, be more of the focal point for, for both fans and, uh, and opponents alike. Um, and he was a trailblazer because, you know, he, he did – he played at Syracuse uh, for a couple of years, and uh, and then he went over to Europe, and then he came, and, you know, and then he, he kind of went back and forth from Europe and North America. You know, he played for the Impact in the in the second division days, and he went over to Europe, and he came back. Um, but he kind of showed that he was willing to go wherever it, his career took him, and put in the work, and 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 become a valuable part of whatever team he was a part of. And uh, if other Canadian players, and and especially out there in Quebec, can look up to him and 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 use him as a role model, and 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 kind of see the kind of the kind of uh, career he built, and and trying to want to emulate that. We're going to be a, a much better soccer nation for it. So uh, yeah, he's a, a great humble guy that uh, you know I've always had a pleasure of of, of speaking to whenever uh, I had to cover him, uh, you know whether it be for uh, club or, or country. And uh, he's going to be a big loss for the impact, but I do think that uh, I, I do agree that this is probably a, a good time for him to step away when he's uh, kind of at his high point. And uh, not, you know, fading out into the distance. So, uh, yeah, he was definitely an under underappreciated, but I do think that uh, he'll be remembered for a long time. 
Yeah, I, I hope Patrice doesn't retire just because I'm going to feel really, really old when he retires. <laughs> I'm the same age as him, so yeah. Yeah. Oh man, he's it's, uh, that's the second generation I've, I've grown up watching. They're all retiring now. The generation two, I'm into my third generation of Canadian national team play. Fourth, really, if you go way back to the ones I watched as a kid. Anyway, uh, Rudy, anything going on in goal this week you want to want to let us know about? Well, right now we have a ton of MLS content uh, from Simon Fudge out there in Vancouver, and of course Nick Sabetti from Montreal. Uh, just kind of looking back on uh, the games, and uh, Nick did a, a great feature on the impact and how they can hold their heads up high and have, the, have a lot to build on for the next season, even though you know it was a very bitter disappointment uh, in, the, in the way the season ended. And this week, we're really ramping up our Canadian, uh, Canadian national team coverage. Uh, Simon's going to be at uh, training for quite a few of those days, and I'm, I'm actually flying out there to help him out with the coverage as well later on in the week. So uh, it's an international break. Uh, we're going to be going full in on Canada, and hopefully uh, Canada will reward us for our, for our efforts. Um, so, yeah, that's what you can look out for at goal. All right. Eventually they will reward us for our for our efforts as fans, <laughs> right? Eventually that will happen one day, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Rudy yeah, Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to be there. Rudy Schuler, goal. Lovely to talk to you as always. Thanks, Rudy. Thanks again, guys. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. And welcome to the Canadian Review, which will be a Canadian Review for one more week anyway, because the Ottawa Fury got the job done on a very exciting and packed, uh, what was it, packed to the rafters, but it was an NASL modern day record. So 9,600 people, a record of the NSL, yeah. Yeah, and I knew quite a few people that traveled up from Toronto to go. Uh, I was going to travel up right to the very last minute, but then um, my Saturday night plans uh, sort of uh, derailed that, uh, if you follow. But at any rate, um, <laughs> so I apologize, Ottawa friends. I, I would have loved to be up there for that, especially when the way it ended. But uh, alas, uh, I made other decisions that uh, led to me not be able to. We'll leave it leave it well enough alone there. Uh, but let's start with the Fury game, Kevin. Uh, it was a great game. It was an exciting game. It was back and forth. The people I were talking to, and this didn't surprise me, but people that went up and sort of didn't have an expectation of what they were walking into, they they walked away very impressed with the quality of play at NASL, which is not something that surprises me, as I said. Uh, but I think that it, it won fans over. The, that 9,600, there were probably three or 4,000 that had never been to a game before, and I'm sure a lot of them will go back, Kevin. No, absolutely. And what impressed me was Mark Dos Santos' coaching adjustment during the game to get that final game winner by Tom Heineman. And uh, the adjustment that Lagos did not necessarily do for Minnesota during that game. And it really showed how quickly Mark Dos Santos created a winning culture in Ottawa, second year only in the program, in the history of the club. And they're already going to the soccer bowl. The first soccer bowl in Canada since 1984, Dwayne. And it's going to be quite a happening next week in, not Ottawa though. It's going to be in uh, New York, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, New York. And, uh, well, At least there's a Canadian the, team in it. Queens, I believe. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, as you said, the last soccer bowl uh, appearance by a Canadian team was back in the 1.0 era. It was the final game. Kevin and I did a special show commemorating the uh, anniversary of that last year. If you and I'm going to repost it this week as well to uh, put you in the mood and get you some reference for uh, that game. Yeah, and that was a great show that we really enjoyed doing. Uh, got to talk to one of my childhood heroes in that show, so that was kind of fun. But uh, at any rate, um, yeah, the Fury were, and I actually tweeted this out just before uh, the game ended just before Heinemann got the winning goal. It was like it would be a real shame for the Fury to lose this, particularly in penalties I, I referenced as well, because they were dominating that game for 
outside of a very quick penalty that went against them in the opening minutes, and they started kind of nervous, took the penalty, were taking a lot of yells. It was kind of chippy for the first five, ten minutes. Once they settled in past that, it was all fury. Part of that was Minnesota trying to hold back to hold on to the to the lead in the first half, but they that holding on is clearly the term here. They were holding on. The better team won this game by far. No, absolutely. And what really is great about that is that odd little positive that we say about Ottawa during the whole season were the reason why they were great as well uh, Sunday, yesterday. Uh, a player that I've talked about many times on this show, Rafael Alves, is uh, one of the revelations for me in this league this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he follows Mark Dos Santos either in Kansas City or somewhere where the lights are brighter because uh, a player of this stature has really dominated this year in Ottawa, in the ASL. And really, it's intriguing now to see the matchup they're going to have with the Cosmos. It's a, a, a rematch of games during this year. There's not necessarily a rivalry, but there is a they know each other. And that factor is going to make it a chippy game. It's a final game. And uh, all those things are really getting my uh, intrigue going. I am uh, probably won't be able to make it to Ottawa, unfortunately. Uh, but that game will be playing for sure. Yeah, well, you'd have to get to New York, Kevin. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's second time I did that mistake. I know. Yeah, I just canceled my trip to New York, so I won't be going to uh, Hofstra Stadium. Yeah, um, Coney Island. This is an interesting talking point, though. The, the Fury did have it in their hands in the final weekend. Uh, DeSantos chose to rest players uh, to try and rest up for the playoff game, for the postseason game, I suppose we should say. And uh, a lot of Fury fans question that because they could have hosted the final game as well. Uh, this also meant that they had to get through Minnesota rather than Fort Lauderdale, which was a harder touch in the first round. Uh, however, it does make it back, and I sort of get that. And uh, the proof will be in the pudding. Um, we are going to preview this game much more in depth on Friday's show this week. Uh, I already have, uh, I've been working with the Cosmos to get a player interview there. Uh, working with the Fury to get a player interview there. I have names in mind, but I'm just going to say player interview in case I have to cancel one and move someone else in. I don't want to disappoint anyone, so we'll say that. Uh, we'll also probably bring in uh, a neutral voice, uh, Stephen Sandor, likely. Stephen, if you're listening, hi, we're going to send you an email. Um <laughs> Booking the show live, here I am. At any rate, we'll, we're going to preview it right from start to finish just to have a chat about it and really play up the soccer ball, uh, the historic return of the Canadian team to a championship game uh, in one of the top two levels of, uh, of North American soccer for the first time since um, when did the uh, Whitecaps win the last USL title? Uh, that's a good question. And Montreal won in 20, uh, 2009. Yeah, that would have been, I think, the Vancouver won, I think, in 2008 then. So those were the last two, and they were Division Two at that point. So that would have been the last time in. Um, and anyway, we're going to play it up big. Uh, first NASL championship game for sure since the 84, as we said. Great for the Fury. It was a great game and a very exciting game to watch. Let's move on now and talk about the impact, Kevin. Um, I guess we'll, we'll start with uh, with this. Was Duca onside? I, I, it's a good question. It's depends how you look at it. He was maybe really close and, uh, well, I don't know. There's were weird calls in that game on both sides and on some of the, I think it was the second goal for uh, Columbus. There was another offside questions too. So maybe he was questionable, but they let it slide. Yeah. One thing I found interesting, Kevin, is that the, uh, the referees actually came out after the fact and said that they um, and said that they made a mistake, and that's not something I'd ever heard uh, an MLS or sorry an MLS referee say before. So that does sort of indicate that um, 
that they think it was offside anyway. It hardly yeah. matters, though, because Columbus got three goals. And that and Drogba was mostly out of the game. So let's focus on Drogba for a little bit. And and why do you think you sort of implied it in a question to Rudy, but I'll let you explain a little bit more. What do you think Drogba did wrong in this match? Why wasn't he more involved? Well, they cut off the service. They cut off the service to him. Uh with moving Piatti to the left against Toronto being a great tactic for using that space behind the defender and Williams and all that, they tried to do the same thing with Columbus. And in a way, Columbus was not it's not built. The, the, that pocket of space is not there on the left for Piatti to use it. And Piatti was trying to be effective all both game long, but it wasn't. Hard, it was hard for him to get that final pass through from that position. I was waiting for both games for Biello to switch back Piatti in the midfield, more implicated directly. Uh, that four three three that kind of worked in the first game, but Montreal it wasn't that easy. It did not work last night, unfortunately. And Piatti, the service to him, to Drogba, was cut out. And when you're put more on the left side, if they're able to cut you out, they'll isolate you. And you'll be on an island by yourself. It's hard to be effective when you're on an island. And they did the same thing to Drogba. By cutting off Piatti, they cut off that last line of defense against Drogba as well. So Drogba was left with no service, have to go deeper into the midfield and then the midfield becomes congested. Nobody knows where they actually should be placed because Drogba's there and he should, probably should not be there. And, and he gives everybody a little doubt, a little second of reasoning too much that when they get the ball, they win a little too much and a player like Gaston Sorrow takes advantage of it. Even though I agree with Rudy, that player probably should have been sent off, if not in the first game, with his action yesterday. But all those things combined are Drogba with no balls. And that's what it was. Drogba has to come back deeper and wasn't implicated directly on uh, goal-scoring chances. And we saw that. He did not have one clear shot on net that could be considered a chance in uh, basically both legs. And if you take the last 12 matches of the season, he has like 10 a game. So that's the biggest difference, right? All right, two, two things, Kevin. First off, phrasing. Second off, um, and people that listen to that might know what I'm referring to there. However, we'll leave it well enough alone because we're a PG show. And second off, I'm wondering um, defensively whether you feel that uh, that the impact did enough in that game. Because Columbus, I mentioned this leading in, they were a better version of TFC in the sense that they had a lot of offensive firepower, like to play an aggressive forward the game. The impact, they lost the game 3-1. It could have been 4-1 if not for a penalty save. Um do you think they were tight enough at the back? What could they have done differently to shut down Columbus's attack in that second game? Well, Iguain really dissected that defense in the fourth minute, and they never really recovered from that. I think the panic mode, the panic factor was there. I don't know if the uh, Larassima penalty, was it warranted? Was it? Well, he did put his hand on his back, and Finley just did what most of the players would do and use that situation going forward. Is it right? Do we like it? Probably not. The defense was shaky at times. I think on set pieces and on ball from long balls, which usually Montreal was dominant the whole season with Cabrera and Sima, Columbus was better in the air yesterday. And that's how they got the majority of their goals with Camara. Two headers that were the game winner at the end in the opening goal are two headers. And they really had problem in that aspect of the game. And it's something that I did not expect because of Montreal's ability to dominate that aspect of the game in this regular season. Columbus was able to see that Montreal was not 
necessarily paying attention in that aspect because of the new uh, drug burning mentality to go forward and all that. I think it lacked in the defense yesterday and the reaction wasn't there. And I think I don't want to put all on the defense. I think it's because we talked about this sometimes. The defender can look bad if the midfielder in front of him doesn't pick up his man all the time. Callum Mouse was one of the midfielders in front of the defense for half the game. And he was not the Callum Mouse that we saw earlier because he hasn't had a lot of games and recently. So no rhythm, no necessarily used to the ebb and flows, especially for a game that's that pace in the playoffs. So he got burned a couple of times that led to the goals and the defense looked bad a little bit because of Callum Mouse. So that's another thing that doesn't help the defense. Yeah, I asked this with Vancouver, and Montreal's built much the same way as, and I think the Canadian teams, by a certain amount of necessity, are. Um, they tend to uh, be a little bit heavier on international players, non-Americans, non-Canadians, the non-Canadians for reasons we won't get into. But do you think that the Impact need a little bit of sort of a American playoff know-how to, to take the next step? I think probably that's what's missing. If you want to keep yellow, which I still think is the right decision to make, not one bad coaching game. And I think Rudy, allu- Rudy alluded to it earlier when he said the the, co- the young coaches with the Canadian team right now, Vanny Robinson and Biello, are did great in regular season, but they don't have that experience, or they didn't until this year, the experience to get to win in the playoff. That little difference that makes from that greediness, that that intangible, that X factor, things that we always talk about here on this show. Well, in the playoff, the American greediness, the American MLSers, the lifers in the MLS are useful. And I think the presence of Justin Mapp would have been amazing if uh, injury and health status would not have been a problem. Unfortunately, Justin Mapp is probably not going to be 100% still next year. So you need another player with that type of attitude, that Americanness, I would like to call it in MLS, that... Usually you see in championship teams, uh, L.A. always had Atlanta Donovan, but there was tons of Americans behind Atlanta Donovan to give that grittiness. And we saw that with Seattle. It was missing a little bit, but there is that Americanness that sometimes, but not sometimes, usually it's always present in uh, MLS winners. Yeah, I, I've always maintained that, you know, this isn't about like, you know, the Stars and Stripes here being superior or anything like that. But MLS has some unique features. And I think having guys that are experienced in the league, which regardless of their passport, uh, is a valuable asset to have within Major League Soccer as your role players. It's why you look at the Galaxy and look at some of the guys that they've taken over the years that haven't really excelled outside of, of L.A. but have gone and played a role really effectively in L.A. Like a Dan Gargan, for instance. Dan Gargan, in many ways, is the prototype of what I'm talking about. A guy sort of a borderline player, never made a ton of money, uh, played like a journeyman all over the place. It played at lower levels. It played at high levels. He came into L.A. and played a key role in a championship team because they just know how to use that sort of workman-like guy uh, that could be effective. And I've always felt that the Canadian teams, Kevin, have never really had those guys, or in Toronto's case, have had them and just thrown them over the ship every year like they're apt to do. Like, oh, this one, we'll get replace him with one that's the same. And forget consistency because we're TFC, but that's a different topic for a different day. Um, no, Kevin, like, the- like a Cal Beckerman or something. If you want to go that route in speculation, RSL is a team that's going to probably shake it up until next year. They miss the playoffs uh, for the first time in a long time this year. And a player like Cal Beckerman might be changing address. And he's that type of player too, maybe more skilled than, uh, than well, a lot more skilled than Dan Gergen, but knows how to get the job done in the playoff and in the 
hard situation that it's no tomorrows in MLS. So uh, those type of uh, blueprint of American players or, like you say, MLS veterans, doesn't matter which passport, can be helpful in an MLS team for Montreal or uh, Vancouver or Toronto next year. Absolutely. All right. Um, we'll end with the question you asked, Rudy. Uh, I'll ask it to you. Uh, and I think I know your answer, but I'll allow you to expand upon it. Is it a successful season for the Impact? I think it is, but I still have the feeling of what could have been. What if Drogba would have been here earlier? I know it's easy to say that, and you can't really think that way, but uh, they had an opportunity this year. They were close. If they missed the playoff next year, hypothetically, then this year would have hurt them. I, I think the way to see if it's a success this year, if it's next year, they can move it further. Then this year would truly be a success. I think it needs to be stepping stone this year for Montreal. If next year the results don't continue to grow, then I cannot call this year a success. So I need to postpone that answer, unfortunately, to probably next year. But uh, I hope you understand what I mean, that uh, now Montreal graduated to the next level. They got respect and recognition across the country, two countries, across the two solitudes of the league, and across the world with the CCL. So with that playoff run, the CCL run, is it enough to get to the next step where next year we're talking about not if they'll make the playoff, but if they can win the East? And I think that's where they have to be next year. All right, fair enough. They're going to have to build around that and help Drogba comes back healthy. Um, no, we haven't heard anything about him going on loan since that last rumor, which seemed to have been shot down, right? No, and it was a, not even a rumor. I don't think he will. I think he needs time to uh, a good month and a half and then get ready for the next training camp in January. Montreal is not going to the CCL, so they can actually focus 100% on the MLS beginning of the season next year. And if they do like they did this year, start off really good, you get a lot of points, while well, it could be really useful. And I think the distraction of the CCL not being there next year for the first time in a long time in Montreal will be beneficial for Drogba and all the other players that really need to recuperate after a hard uh, three months. It's been almost a month and a half that Montreal has been playing playoff games. So it's been a hard two months for Montreal, a lot of games. And training camp opens in about two months, if exactly. you can believe that. Um, all right, uh, I'm going to leave. We're going to talk with Bernie at the end, but I'll leave it to the final question, Kevin. So let's, let's move on and talk about the other team that went out last night, the Vancouver Whitecaps. I rewatched that game this morning, and I still don't have a lot to talk about. And I, I feel guilty about that. But th they were just so impotent. They just could not do anything going forward. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. I, I don't know what the answer is other than to find another player. Like, they, they thought they had addressed their offensive problems in the offseason, the Whitecaps did, but... They just disappeared at the end. Do you have any insight into why maybe they disappeared? The injuries didn't help, obviously. There's a curse, Dwayne. It's the, it's the first-year Canadian team in the playoff curse. You don't score goals, and you lose. We saw it with Montreal in 2013 in Houston. We saw it with Toronto in Montreal two weeks ago. And we saw it with uh, Vancouver in the last two weeks. There's a certain curse that uh, every shot that you put on goal gets saved. Even shot that you would think that would go in for like a foot, of, finds a way to get stopped. Uh, there's a curse. And I don't know what's going I think it needs a Montreal or a Toronto or Vancouver, a Canadian team, to win a home and away series. Then that curse will be broken. I don't know. It, 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 like Rudy said, it's weird. Uh, there's really like a... It seems like it, it doesn't fit with the rest. It, Vancouver should have been able to score at least a couple easily. But for some reason, 
not. Same for Toronto. They had the they had the chances, and for some reason there was something not working for them on that day. And I think it's the first year Canadian jinx in the playoff, and uh, we've saw it happen actually three times now. Yeah, yeah, TFC. Well, we'll talk about him in another day. Um, we don't have to, but if you want. <laughs> well, there's no point right now. I don't want to focus on who's still alive. And I mean, the, the one thing I will say to that is, you know, that curse is a D1 curse. It did. It didn't. It didn't affect the D2 team. Um, look, they have to go get a player. They have to get another offensive player. That's the way it comes down to me. I, I don't necessarily know if the Whitecaps are inclined to look. For that American solution that we mentioned to that MLS experience solution, but I I feel just as I said with Montreal a moment ago that 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 is the answer. At any rate, uh, I think that the tie was won by the better team overall. I, we said this after the first leg that a lot of people were spinning that it was the Whitecaps had the advantage because they didn't allow uh, Portland to, to score at home. But to me, because of Vancouver's inability to score all year, it was always advantage Portland one goal. And suddenly the team that can't score a goal had to score two. And I think that game was over as soon as Portland scored that goal. It really seemed that way because Vancouver was not even putting that much pressure. Well, if they were trying to, not doing it with a lot of results, especially last five, six minutes of the game when uh, after before Portland got that second goal, uh, Vancouver was trying to put that pressure, but was not able to do what Montreal did last yesterday, last night, where they did have some chance in the last 10 minutes. Pressure was building, and it was going in the net, in the box, and the ball was going really close. It was not the case. Portland was still getting most of the possession late on in that game and controlling it. So there was really something off of Vancouver. I don't know if you can blame Robinson. I don't know if there's need to be a, a tactics overhaul and really change the mentality of this team. It's just weird how those two games were basically the same where Portland hold on, scored when they had to, and just basically booked a ticket without expending too much energy and it might be beneficial for them because Dallas had to do a lot to win that game yesterday. So uh, that's going to be interesting for Portland, but it's a mind-boggling for Vancouver. I right, got the international break in between, of course, as well. Um, with Vancouver, uh, one thing that uh, they're in the CCL next year, obviously, because they won the Voyagers Cup. And the, the one advantage that does give them that a lot of people aren't aware of um, even though we both kind of think that Vancouver doesn't – not talking about the fans. I'm talking about the club doesn't really want to prioritize the CCL, and I think their experience in it this year sort of indicated that. Uh, but it, they do get extra allocation for that. They do have the ability to spend a little bit more money to maybe plug a hole that they might not be able to otherwise. And I think that that's an advantage that doesn't get talked about enough. So we'll see what they do with that. Going to be an interesting offseason for Sure, with the Whitecaps. Final, final sort of topic on that is how the market uh, reacts to it. Now, we asked Rudy whether we thought the Whitecaps season was successful, and he called it a neutral season. I was looking at Whitecaps sort of fan reaction this morning, and I, it's kind of all over the map, but I do think there's going to be a lot of hardcore Whitecaps fans that are going to walk away disappointed from the season, that aren't going to look at it as a successful season, that did believe that the Whitecaps were already at the level they're at now last year, uh, that they they felt jobbed in that playoff game against Dallas, felt they should have got through. Uh, they took the step in terms of the regular season performance early on this year to get that second seed, but they're going to feel that they didn't really take advantage of that in the playoffs. Um, so I guess I've answered my question. I kind of agree with Rudy. It was sort of a treading water season for them. I think a lot of the fans do. So I'll ask you, was it a successful season for the Whitecaps? Uh, 
my point of view is I mentioned during our playoff preview and before that when you host a playoff game, it's hard to consider it a non-success for a Canadian team. But you're absolutely right. They were at that level last year. And they all right, they didn't make it to the semifinals last year. They make it to uh, the play-in game. But still, they, it's not a bigger, it's not a step that's big enough to justify the hype of the whole season, especially the beginning. I think it's the continuity of the second half of the season for Vancouver where they had trouble scoring and injuries and you played Pedro Morales when he was maybe not ready yesterday so did not have the impact on the game that he, Morales in 100% health would have. So those are a lot of things that changed Vancouver that explain why they didn't get to that bigger step into the final and who knows, a contender for the cup. Uh, but I think they need that striker. They need that one finisher to be able to get more goals. And I think it's not the result, but the fashion of the result, the way it happened, that makes it not a success of Vancouver. It's really close for being a success. Uh, the only difference is the feeling that everybody has. And right now in Vancouver, like you say, it doesn't feel like it's a success Even though they could say that they won the Canadian Championship, they lost in the Naka in the group stage of the CCL this year. So, eh, is one trophy Canadian Championship enough to call your season a success? That's another question for another story. So far, I think they could have done better, and for that reason, it's uh, not a success, but it's close to that line. TFC won the Canadian Championship four years in a row. I don't think anyone in their right mind calls TFC a success. As much as I love the Voyager's Cup, it's it's an afterthought for the most part, especially amongst the more general fans out there. Um, let's move on to the game that I don't want to talk about, the game that is terrifying me, the game that I am going to pretend isn't happening until I have to pretend otherwise, although I'm going to do a special show about it. So that's going to be hard, Kevin. How nervous are you for Friday? I'm actually quite confident because of the Laren, Akindeli, Hutchinson, uh, but especially the new crop, Laren, Akindeli, Hoylet. Uh, those players are not afraid of Honduras. They're not afraid and they're not, they don't have that history. They were not on the pitch in that game that should not be mentioned. They were not part of the environment of the club at that time. So they don't have that stigma that some of the players of the national team program do have. So I think it's going to be different. And I think just with, like Cal Lauren said on the the conference call last week, where he's going to make Canada forget about the Honduras 8-1 game. So you know what? I'll go with Cal Lauren. Make us forget that game. This Friday, make us forget that game that should not be mentioned. And get a victory at home. The one thing that if we would have done it, the result would not have mattered down there. So if you beat that stigma, and you know what? We got a chance to do it the first opening stage of the opening game of this stage. So uh, it's a way to exercise demons. And demons will be exercised this Friday. Oi, 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 oi. We should, uh, I, I sometimes I imagine like uh, Squizado and myself, let's say we're managing the uh, Canadian national team. They'd be rocking in the corner collectively, uh, uh, you know, about ready to throw up. Uh, if we, we were managing together, we'd have them so nervous by the end of it. No, I, this game, it terrifies me because if they, it terrifies me not because of, I, I'm too inclined, I've been here too long to not see the, the negative what will happen if they lose. That's all I can think of is, is Saturday morning waking up and going, Oh, God, how am I going to spin this? Because that's how it feels before every Canadian national qualifying game since I was a kid. 
So, Kevin, hopefully one day I get to uh, to celebrate that. But in the meantime, I'm going – I tried the positive route last cycle. I tried to be like, okay, if we do this, rah, rah, rah. Now, this time I'm just going to go completely negative and expect the worst. And if something happens good, then yay, something happens good. Uh, we're going to do a whole show on this where I promise I'll be a little more balanced than that I, or maybe a little more stable. I don't know. Maybe I'll have a couple shots of tequila before I do it. Um, that might help. Or it might make it worse. It could just make it really melancholy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> be like, oh, 86. Exactly. All right. Um, we'll end with Patrice Bernier. Is it the last? Is it the end for Patrice? I don't know. If you would have asked me that question just before I saw his post game interview on RDS, I would have said no. He's coming back. But the way he answered the question, uh, the, the, what's not said in the interview, the the mannerism, the the everything, the I think it's I don't know. I don't know if it's the end for him. It, it's a good send off where you brought your team, you scored twice in the playoff, you brought it to the semifinals of the conference, you brought them to a CCL, you played in the Estadio Azteca in a in your it could be what could be your final season. It could be a great send off for what is going to be known as a legend for this club and different history of this club, different part of the history. So Patrice Bernier is important for the history of this club. Is it is the last time we see him? I don't know what what happened earlier this season with the controversy, with how uh, the redemption story in the playoff. It, it could be a good sent off. Uh, I think he's going to take some weeks to talk about it, but I think his role with the club next year is going to be part of it too. Is he going to be as involved? No. Is going to be chances that he's going to be a sub and not play a lot? Yeah. Does he want that? I don't know. He still wants to play. Maybe the option of NASL or who knows even USL playing. He has his coaching licenses he has ufb for now and is going to work in his ufa after he's done his career does he want to do the usl uh help the players on the pitch while you're learning your chops as a coach at the same time that could be an option for him too so maybe there's better option for him next year than actually playing in mls yeah look i think anything i've ever talked to when i've talked to to players near the end is that it's not the season that's the following season that they're concerned about it's not about playing in games anymore. Usually, you know, you're just finished a season. You know your body can get up for it for another year to play in the games. But it's the preseason is why they retire. Because they think about what they have to do to get back in shape. They think about what they're going to have to do in the preseason to sort of get into that game shape, get into that 90-minute shape again. And they go, I can't do that. That's going to be the issue. So um, it's whether Patrice wants to go through that grind, that mental sort of grind that you're going to need to, mental and physical, to, to get back in game shape after two months off is going to ultimately probably decide that regardless I think we're, we haven't seen the end of him for sure I, I think that the impact of absolutely are going to keep him around uh, they're going to absolutely probably use him in a coaching role in some way maybe he'll be in the academy probably at a lower level to begin with but I suspect that that's absolutely in the plans Kevin um, let's end with this final question uh, you're there in the heart of Patrice Bernier country uh, you the part of the country that has not overrated him or over or not thought about him, I think. So just tell me how important has Patrice Bernier been to, um, to Quebec soccer over the last 10, 15 years? What Patrice has brought to Quebec soccer is a direct pathway to becoming a professional in a time where players did not have idols or did not have somebody from their neck of the wood that trailblazed the path to a professional league in Europe or somewhere else. 
That's what Patrice Bernier showed. Patrice Bernier gave hope to young players that we see with the, with the club now. The young Maxime Tissot, the young Cal we met. Those young players, when they were a kid, they saw Patrice Bernier were able to get a job in, Nor in Norway, get a job in Sweden, get a job in good club, played in the Champions League. Those type of things don't happen 20 years ago when you're a Canadian player. So uh, he trailblazed that pathway for players before the MLS, before the academies. And that's something that's very important because he's a pioneer in that sense. And there's not a lot of players. It's the same way as the Jason DeVos. Back then, there was not a lot of Canadian players from our neck of the woods who were making it big in Europe. And those players did. And Patrice Bernier comes back helps a club get founded or graduated, depends how you look at it, in Montreal in 2012, and gets uh, attention, gets great result. He was the player of the year. He had uh, eight goals that year. He had some great moments with the impact in his second stint with the club. So he really gave a lot to soccer in Quebec in many different phases of his career. And up until the last second he's going to be playing, He's still going to give to Quebec soccer. And we're seeing it with the two goals that he did for the impact and filling that stadium. And he was the spokesperson for this club when they had nobody else to do it. He was the one on radio shows. He was the one on TV. It's almost unimaginable to see the impact at the level they are right now without the, the help of Patrice Bernier. All right, uh, Kevin, a little bit of breaking news as we were recording this show. It has been made official by New York City FC as first predicted. Well, maybe not first predicted, as predicted on this show. However, Patrick Vieira has been named the second head coach of NYC FC. Quick oh, thoughts Dwayne, on that? Uh, yeah, quick thought. We're the only place that mentioned the name Patrick Vieira everywhere. If you listen to all other podcasts, the name Patrick Vieira didn't come up. It was said on the Two Solid Dudes here last week first. Yes. Well, I, I saw it on some city boards before, and that may be where my little uh, part of that came from. But anyway, yeah, Patrick Vera has named the, the his name the head coach, and I think we talked about it a lot on the on the Friday show. So if you want to go back and listen to our thoughts, then we we articulated them. But uh, certainly, it does indicate that City Football Group wants this to be a project that is involved in all levels from Manchester and sort of dictated from Manchester. And I know a lot of New York uh, or sorry, a lot of MLS fans are going to have issues with that. And uh, I understand that, but uh, it's their money to do with that club as they wish is what I would say back to that. And, and time will tell whether, uh, whether they're wrong or right. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of people assume that uh, Vieira will flop. A lot of people assume that foreign coaches will flop. There's a lot of history that suggests that there's some truth to that, but we'll tell anyway. That's a uh, trial by fire too. If, yeah. the, if there's one way to evaluate a coach to see if he's got the chop for your system, let's put him in a league that he doesn't know and see if he – you put him in a deep end. If he comes out swimming, good. If he drowns, put another body there. I think All that's right. the way they look at it. That's a long show for today. Rudy yeah, Schuler with a, with a great interview. So we're going to end it there. Uh, we'll probably have more thoughts on the NYCFC hire as, uh, as the offseason progresses. But for, uh, for now, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Kevin, say goodbye. Until next time on uh, the Sports Podcasting Network, well, have a great soccer.